Hi, it's Nick Webster here at the United Soccer Coaches Convention, and I'm joined by Erin McLeod and Rachel Linville, the Mindful Project. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, a lot of kids have been indoors, outdoor air of competitive sports, and they're struggling. And you two have created a business, a project, a platform that is going to allow children and adults to find their inner selves and to be able to figure out what their why is. So Erin, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Give us a little bit about your background because I know that you are an athlete of some renown. So tell us a little bit more. Yes, okay. I'll give you my resume. Um, so I've been to four FIFA Women's World Cups, uh, three Olympic Games. I have a bronze medal from 2012. Uh, which means that I'm in the Canadian Olympic Hall of Fame, and then we just won a gold medal um, in Tokyo. However, relating back to the Mindful Project, I mean, I've been playing soccer since I was five, and it's been such a huge part of my life. Um, and as you mentioned, Rachel Linval, who is my business partner, has her doctorate in mindfulness research. We call her the doctor. Um, she's fantastic. And I think along the way, you know, even as young, very young kids, we develop mindsets often that don't always help us learn and they can often be quite damaging and not feel great and learning can be this wonderful process and even though mistakes can sometimes be hard they don't have to be as hard as we make them so years ago uh, i kind of fell in love with mindfulness this concept of being in the present moment um, which sounds simple but it is actually quite quite difficult and young people today are struggling more and more with anxiety because they struggle to be in the present moment and with Rachel's background of course we kind of came together and we thought how can we make this experience better for adults children for everybody and not just sport as we were chatting earlier sport is a vehicle a trial and error uh, really for life and so that's kind of how things got started with us um, and throughout my career I've I've had a I think a pretty successful career but um, for me, what matters the most is the fulfillment piece. And that's why I'm still playing. I'm 38 years young and I'm still playing the sport that I love. And mostly a lot of it because of the things that we're learning now. Um, and because our brains are so fantastic and so malleable that um, it is possible if you do the work to have the brain that you want, the mind that you can use instead of um, the mind using you. Well, let's go to the doctor, Doc. <laughs> sports people we practice things over and over again and we get our muscles perfect we know how to pass a ball kick a ball throw a ball where we're meant to be and yet we don't spend hardly any time on the most important component of our body the brain exactly as Aaron just mentioned we can train the brain but how do we train the brain how do we trick ourselves into going this stuff works. I love that uh, you brought up that we spend really virtually no time training the brain. And the reality, you know, Aaron's talking about like the brain using us instead. So we kind of are training it without realizing it. So it's it's so often about unlearning. And, 
it starts with noticing if we say unlearning it's noticing when our brains are outside of the present moment it's noticing when i'm worried about the past or worried about the future and that is the very very first step is actually realizing what's happening and when it's happening because then you can utilize tools like using the breath to bring your mind back to the the present moment you know but it really the, the tiniest little thing is just realizing it catching it and that's the win so we, we know there's so much, uh, you know, that there's work involved in doing this. Why hasn't, why isn't it a part of everybody's daily routine? I mean, I, I think to myself, if a LeBron James or who's a big superstar, Cristiano Ronaldo said, listen, everybody, you've got to start using your brain in a, in a different way and training your brain in a different way. Would we all be doing it? Or is, is, there just, is it part of human nature to go, yeah, I'll just try it later, or I'll, I'll do it for a week, I'm not seeing any results, I can't do it anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, to be honest, I think a lot of big-time athletes are talking about mindfulness. Um, and I think what you're actually seeing a lot more of is a lot of big athletes dropping out of big tournaments because their anxiety or the pressure has become too much. And we're kind of of the mindset that anxiety, I mean, it's hard to find someone who doesn't have some sort of anxiety now, right? So how do we develop tools instead of pretending like it doesn't exist or we can ignore it? How do we build the tools to work through it? And for me, you know, like an easy one we were talking about earlier is getting to know our bodies. Like our bodies are incredible. You process up to 11 million bits of information a second, which means oftentimes if you're getting uh, symptoms of anxiety, your body is showing, you know, showing signs before your mind is like really realized it. And so if you understand your body and let's say your chest tightens up, then you can take a pause and take a moment and say like, why is my chest tightening up? And start understanding the signs and reading them earlier and then having a little bit more control. And I think, I think that's, can be intimidating right like you accept the way that you've been and realizing it could be better with as little as three minutes like a couple times a week mindfulness can have a huge impact on your brain after like eight weeks it's really amazing so what i'm going to do i'm going to be very controversial i'm going to give you some pushback okay and the pushback is me being supersonically vulnerable i shouldn't even be doing this but i'm going to do it anyway so two and a half years ago i had a quad bypass Okay, now you wouldn't know it because I'm supersonic, you know, strong, fit. Um, but I guess, you know, all my arteries were blocked up. So, you know, so I'm in recovery. Well, I, I guess I'm still in recovery, but mentally, I'm still an absolute mess. And when I get, you know, well, I do, I get pains in my chest. I get pains in my chest though because, you know, well, I go to the doctor because I'm like freaking out. And he's like, no, it's the, the wires and everything, you know, putting it back together again. But to, to use those techniques to be able to go, you know, I, I, went, I went last month because I was, you know, losing my mind because it felt like my heart was jumping out of my chest and I was gonna have a heart attack. Right. And the doctor's like, no, you're fine. And as soon as I went to the doctor and he said, you're fine, I was like, oh yeah, it's gone. So tell me how to use those tricks, and I'm asking for myself, not for my viewers now, how to use those tricks when you're in that moment and it is, it feels like, oh my God, something terrible is about to happen right now and I cannot control it. Well, I like that you brought up the, uh, the cardiac 
thing because in my research there's a, there's a lot of uh, mindfulness that's used with people recovering from cardiac events because it is so traumatic and that's the reality is a traumatic event and so the, the first thing is the breath um, research shows that breathing in through your nose for three seconds pausing out through the mouth for four seconds actually it, it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, which helps calm the body down. And then if you actually are noticing, how does the air feel when I come in through my nose? How does the air feel when it exit, exit my lungs? Um, counting, actually counting in your head. I mean, that gets you out of your own freak out, basically, right? Because you're having a freak out for a reason. You're not, you know, you're a normal human but being. Make, but you make it sound so easy. Oh, I'm just going to count. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just like, I'm going to die. You know, right. and we're going to count. Right. So, um, and, and I totally, you know, the, the rational part of me gets it completely. Right. The irrational part of me goes, you, you guys are out to lunch. You don't, you, in, unless you're experiencing, experiencing it for yourselves, um, I, I'm not sure how you, can, how, how you can relate to that moment because I guess everybody's freak out is, is their freak out. It's not, right. you know, it, it's, it's maybe, maybe a lot of the symptoms and the signs are collective, but the freak out's very individual. Mm -hmm. um, so, the, what I'm looking for, selfishly, is what, what is the trick that's going to flick that switch where I can go, okay, I can do this? Well, I think, it's, I think it's very individual, first of all. I mean, I think there's recognizing that, obviously, it's anxiety, right? And how many times do we worry about something that's going to happen that never happens? It's part of human nature, right? So, first of all, when you get the the pain in your chest that's the moment because I get when I get bad anxiety I feel like I have spiders crawling all over my chest and immediately I just start breathing and like the one thing um, and this for me was very helpful when I start feeling that way and like I'm losing control the one thing that's always in the moment is your body so everyone like I said it's individual so, so for some people it's their breath some people I know have an elastic band around their wrist and they just snap it and they're here right now so at the end of the day, like it's your mind that's getting away from you. So how do you bring it back to your body? I think that's one thing. And I think the thing that I really admire about mindfulness, and you talked about vulnerability, is the concept in mindfulness is to go towards. So if you're experiencing this pain, then sit with the pain. Sit with it, take your breath out, and like explore it. Like, um, you know, Rachel was saying, like notice, observing. Observe it, like be there. and. I've done this multiple times and it's funny how you kind of put your attention towards it, you breathe, and then it just kind of starts, it's like a balloon that just kind of it loses all of its air. Well, let me ask you this, as a, as a high level goalkeeper, when you first started out in your career and you're, and you're playing at the, at the highest level, when the nerves came, how did you deal with it before you'd learn? All this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was a basket case before all this stuff, you know what I mean? I was just like so athletic, a great goalkeeper, and I kind of got away with a lot of stuff. But I learned over the years, like my relationship, it's interesting, and there's research on this, and one of my favorite TED Talks ever by Kelly McGonigal, your relationship with stress matters. Literally, if you believe stress is good for you and it's a survival me mechanism, your body has a different physiological response. So your blood flow remains the same, same amount of blood gets to your brain, your muscles, but if you believe it's bad for you, and there's research to prove this, if you believe it's bad for you, your veins, your arteries, everything constricts, and then you limit blood flow to your brain. So you're not thinking clearly at all, which would also contribute to the 
you know, thinking about the future, freaking out about the future, and then you're not getting the same amount of blood flow to your muscles. So as an athlete, both of those things are integral for me to having a great performance. So that didn't mean people are like, oh, great, then your nerves went away. I was like, no, I get nervous every single game. But now I know and fundamentally believe that that stress reaction is helping me to be the best that I can be. And it's still there, but now my body and my mind work efficiently. So when, when we talk about the journey and the destination, yes. okay, on your journey, were you fixed upon the destination? Yeah. You were? Well, because isn't the destination the byproduct of the journey? Right, so for me, any time that I was unhappy in sport was when I was fixed on the outcome. And I found as soon as I came back to the journey, as soon as I came back to the moment, as soon as I came back to the here and now and the passion of the game, I was like a kid in a candy shop. Um, but every time I started worrying about, well, I want to be the best in the world or this and that, or I want to win this, instantly, like, I just lost you know, all the love just and the joy just got squeezed out of it. I, expectation can be a killer. I do believe because, you know, people ask us all the time, mindfulness is about being the present. So do you think about the future? Like we, we set goals so that when I'm working towards those goals, I'm in the moment and they're out there. Like, and you know, and it's like a Buddhist pr principle, you know, like having these goals, but not being controlled by them. I love the fact that you, you, you brought up Buddhist principles. Um, I think here in the Western world, we, we don't pay enough attention to that, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't even call it mystical, but it's, it's a, you know, a way of life. Do you incorporate Buddhism into the Mindfulness Project? Uh, the Mindfulness Project is, is not religion-based, but there's a lot of principles that, from mindfulness that come from you know, principles in Buddhism, but it's also you know, throughout a lot of other religions as well. So, I mean, focusing on the present moment or the breathing or being, you know, focusing on um, a lack of attachment. Like those are, are principles that are across a lot of religions, but specifically in mindful, in, with the Mindful Project, we, we separate it from religion. You bring up a great point, lack of attachment. And in the Western world, we are so attached to everything. <laughs> yeah. How do you train for lack of attachment? Okay, Doc, come on, you're in the house. We've got a lot, we've got a lot of patients out there. They need fixing. It's, I mean, so often when we're attached to something, I mean, like like Erin was saying, you know, she didn't enjoy the game when she was so fixed on an outcome. Um, or you're so fixed on, on being a certain thing or doing a certain thing versus focusing on that process and enjoying that moment. Um, she would probably tell you that this last Olympics was drastically different than other ones she's been a part of, but there were things she got to enjoy and appreciate because she was not so fixated and so attached to a certain thing. And I don't know if you want to add to that. Well, yeah. How, well, how did you let go? Yeah, I mean, I think we were talking about this earlier. Um, I knew that my role was different and I think with every role that you're given you have a choice to embrace it and go towards it and to decide to grow or you can see it as a burden and I chose you know to put my whole heart into the first one and and I will never have any regrets it was the most exhausting um, tournament I've ever been to and I didn't play for one minute you know I'm, emotionally I was there to motivate my teammates and be there do extras and I was helping the coach connect the team and so I contributed as much as I possibly could so that part was challenging and I have struggled like ego is a crazy thing you know but the ego is the past and um, or the future and it's not right here right now and Every time I'm in the moment right here, right now, and really connecting, like, you know the people that you're talking to them, 
and they're thinking about like what they're going to eat later or what are, you know they've got like 45 things in their mind and they're not there and in that sense I was really proud of how I showed up because every time I showed up for anyone I was I was there it wasn't anywhere else and so in that tournament like I've, I've built relationships with people there um, that I will have for the rest of my life and, and in that sense I'll never regret it and you also get to learn kind of what you're made of you know um, in those moments explain why it was exhausting obviously uh, you know I, like you say that Olympics was very different you're all in the bubble yeah um, but why was it exhausting you know because you, you you think to yourself well as a player especially as a goalkeeper you have yeah. to be tuned in for 90 plus minutes mm -hmm. and you can't lose concentration even when the ball's up the other end of the field for 89 minutes because right. that one split second and you know you've lost the game but so you were on the bench yeah were you were you kicking every ball were you involved with every pass I mean yeah I mean I think uh, more from like an emotional sense I was exhausted um, I took on a role uh, that I was watching people being connected or disconnected from the group so in that sense I was in charge of like 23 people making sure that they were bringing their A game. If I noticed a dip in someone's performance or energy, I was the first one to be there. And I made sure of it, you know, we were together for 45 days straight. And so by the end of that, you know, I, I really developed a lot of fantastic relationships and it was about giving and giving and giving. And because I was going there as a third keeper um, and not to anyone's detriment, like I don't, I don't think anyone was like, oh, I don't want to think about Aaron this tournament, but they all had a job to do and, and be at their best. So, um, so in that sense, it was, it was kind of a selfless mission, but it also felt, it's interesting because it also felt really good when you see these people that you've invested so much time in go and perform the best that they've ever performed. And you want to believe, and, you know, we believe in love and abundance and it's not fear and scarcity. And so, you know, you believe in raising everybody up and that was my my entire mission was to make a difference i've got to tap into that being the third string keeper quickly yeah that means you're the third best goalkeeper in the entire country <laughs> i mean that's not that's not bad right no, no, that's no, not no, bad yeah so you're the third best goalkeeper in the entire country and yet you're not going to see a minute yeah did the coach say that to you before you went you're probably not going to see a minute um she didn't say that to me directly but i kind of knew um, and we had a conversation because I, yeah, I'm a big believer in communication. I think it, almost everything in the world can be solved by honest, transparent communication. And I just kind of said, what's my role? And she, you know, we both agreed that I could connect the group and influence the group in a positive way. And that's, yeah, but basically that's kind of what it, we decided to do. And yeah. so once you accepted that role, then you could really dive into that yeah, role. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, look, before I let you go, please tell me how do people connect with The Mindful Project? Yeah, you can check us out on our website, um, themindfulproject.us. Uh, you can reach out to us um, either you know, separately, Aaron at themindfulproject.us or Rachel at themindfulproject.us. Um, and uh, yeah, we have uh, programs for youth all the way up through professional and uh, we just love having the opportunity of giving people tools to be able to be successful. So anything you want to add to that? Perfect. Nailed right. it. Nailed it, Doc. All right. <laughs> Ladies, thank you so much for joining the Bear on the Ball. Yes, thank we'll you for having us. We'll be looking for the Mindful Project. Awesome. In the years to come. Thank right. you very much. Thank you.